So we're reading from Genesis chapter 22 this morning, verses um, 1 to 19. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. And then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Thanks, sister. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this series in Genesis. I've certainly enjoyed preparing it for you. Getting to know Abraham a bit better. Um, A few weeks ago, I told you about um, how I'd won a prize at Bible College. Um, Well, did you know that's not the only prize I've won in my illustrious academic career? Uh, When I trained to be a radiographer, I've got um, a picture here, I think, Robert. Is that working for you? Thank you. 
when I trained to be a radiographer, at the end of the course, I won another prize. I won the prize for consistent clinical development. Sounds impressive, but essentially what it meant was I was so useless on my first clinical placement in the hospital that I didn't look like I'd make it. But by the end, I was okay at x-raying people. You see, I... Not changed a bit. I was a sh- that's me getting the prize from the president of the College of Radiographers. See, I was a shy, and I was 18, but I was a very young 18-year-old when I started. And I had to go through the ringer of moving to a new town to go and be on placement, new accommodation, new place of work. And for a shy, quiet 18-year-old, going into a waiting room full of patients was terrifying let alone then trying to coax those patients into standard radiographic positions. You know, it, was, it was tough. It was a tough thing to go through at that age. But I was glad that I went through it. It, it grew me up. Uh, a more serious example, growing up, we always had foster children with us. Um, most, many of them, most of them, with very challenging behaviours. There was lots of drama. And sometimes it was very tough. But I'm glad that that was my childhood. I think those experiences helped me to uh, understand people and empathize with people. And people tell me now that I'm calm, unflappable, and I think that's a big reason why. So times of testing have been good for me, and I'm sure you could tell your own stories. Well, today we're looking at this time of testing for Abraham. That's what it is. Verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham. So that's what we're looking at. And here's where we're heading. We've got an outline, just three points. God tests, Abram trusts, and God provides. God tests um, how this is a unique situation given by God to help Abram. Abram trusts how Abram's faith and trust in in God to be good shows up in his obedience. And God provides, how God provides for Abram and Isaac, and how they point us to how God will provide for all of us. That's where we're going. So first, God tests. God tests. I wonder, so we've broken it, have we? Not to worry. Uh, I wonder how do you react to this episode? I think, you know, the idea of Abram sacrificing his son, I think many are put off by it. Many Christians are put off thinking, well, I could never demonstrate that much obedience, so maybe my faith isn't good enough. And many Atheists, like somebody like Richard Dawkins, crow about this passage saying, how could you possibly want to know a God who asks a man to kill his own son and who commends a man for trying to go through with that? And I think if, you know, if we were witnesses to this happening, I hope that we'd try and rescue Isaac and report Abram to the authorities. So I think I just need to explain a few things to help us stay engaged with the passage because we, we rightly react against the idea of somebody killing a child um, just so that we don't get stuck at this, that perfectly natural reaction. Like, I don't know why God would ask Abram to do such an awful thing. So we can give this passage a good hearing. So first, we are told up front in verse 1 that this is a test by God, by God of Abram. So... It's not a temptation. So in the Bible, a temptation is something the devil gives us in order to try and get us to sin. Whereas in the Bible, a test is a difficulty presented to us by God to build us up in faith, to grow, to be a positive thing. 
So we're supposed to read this narrative through the lens of knowing that God is never going to let Isaac actually be killed because it's only a test. So it's a bit like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. So that was an all-round, not in that it's an all-round disappointing sequel. I mean, it's like Indiana Jones' Temple of Doom in that it was um, in many ways inferior to Raiders Lost Ark. What really killed it off, though, is that it's set in the time before Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's a prequel. So whatever happens, however much tension or peril there is, just evaporates because you know that Indiana Jones is going to survive and you don't really care about Short Round and Willie Scott. If you've not seen those films, I'm sorry, think of your own illustration. (laughs) Still, though, we know that Isaac will be okay. Abram doesn't. But second key to all this, to this incident, is who Isaac is. He's the child of promise. The one through who God has said, specifically, um, that all of Abram's offspring and all nations through them will be blessed. Not Ishmael, definitely Isaac. Isaac is central to God's plans for salvation. And Genesis up to this point has been all about God's people being blessed and blessing others when they take God at his word. And when they don't take God at his word, disaster and curse for themselves and for others when they fail to trust him. So the test is, will Abram trust God, take him at his word and put him before anything else, including the most precious thing in the world to him, Isaac? So we've got to be clear, this command of God is a one-off, it's a test, and it's used because of the key significance of who Abram and Isaac are and their importance to how God is going to save humanity. And it's worth noting, everywhere else, the idea of sacrificing a child is mentioned in the Bible. It's singled out as a thing that God particularly detests and doesn't want anything to do with. But in this very particular individual situation, this test is good for Abraham. See, he and Isaac have been given this supreme status as the turning point in God's plans to bless and save humanity. So I guess there's every danger that they'll turn to trusting and believing in themselves, same as every other religion, and getting others to do the same instead of trusting in God. So this test will help Abram and help God to know if Abram is holding anything back from God. And that's the question for us. Are we holding anything back from God? Is there an area of your life that's kind of a no-go zone for God, quarantined from him? It could be your career, relationships, a habit, a pleasure, something that you're not prepared to give up or to hand over control to God for the sake of honoring and trusting him. Because whatever it is that we're withholding, that's the thing that God wants. So that he is our heart's desire above anything else. Because that's what we're made for. Because that's the honor that he's due. And because that's where true blessing, true joy is found.
But Abram must have been thinking, why, Lord, why would you ask me to do this? If this is the cost of following you, why am I even doing it? And maybe you're going through a time of testing and asking, why, Lord? It's impossible to see how any good can come of this at all. Well, this episode in Abram and Isaac's life shows us that God can be trusted, that God will provide through our times of testing, and he will use it to grow us. So God tests, and remarkably, Abram trusts. That's our next heading, Abram trusts. So the narrator's pains not to soften the blow of this, but to make sure that we feel how hard, how painful, how difficult this must have been for Abram. So verse 2, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. So the word son is used ten times in this narrative. It's never just Isaac or someone. It's always son emphasizing just what is being asked of Abram. Now, this is really personal. And who knows how Abram must have been feeling. The Bible doesn't tell us here. Uh, The narrator is only interested in telling us how Abram trusted and obeyed God's command. And this is no impulsive, grit your teeth, close your eyes and just do it kind of obedience. Um, Moriah was... 72 kilometers away. It was three days, three full days travel, you know, a planned road trip with two servants and a donkey. Verse four. On the third day, Abram looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to the servants, you stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abram took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he carried him, him He himself carried the fire and the knife. So up they go together, victim and executioner. I mean, how can Abram do this? And it gets worse, Isaac asks an awkward question that must have pierced Abram's soul. As the two of them went, verse 6, as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, uh, said to his father Abram, Father, Yes, my son, Abram replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abram answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. God himself will provide, Abram says. You see, this is not Abram's first rodeo. Everything Abram has been through to this point has him convinced that Isaac is going to be all right. So Abram had left his wealth and his family to go to this new land that God had pointed him to. He'd gone through years of childlessness. He'd got out of Egypt, a rich man, despite his best efforts to ruin everything. God had, um, he'd had Ishmael and God had provided for Ishmael. There was the rescue of Lot from Sodom we saw last week. God making him promises, then developing that into a covenant, and then a covenant with sign and circumcision, and finally a son to Sarah. 
So all of it leads him to believe that somehow, some way, God can be taken at his word, and even in this circumstance. So it's important to see that Abram is only acting as he is with reasoned, reasonable faith that Isaac will be all right in the end. So verse 8, he says, God will provide. And back in verse 5, when he was talking to the servants, he said, we will worship, and then we, plural, me and Isaac, we will come back to you. So he's not lying, covering up. He genuinely believes that. Because this is Isaac, the child of promise. This can't be the end of him. And in the New Testament, Hebrews 11 tells us, from verse 17, it says, By faith, Abram, when, test, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abram reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead, from death. See, Abram doesn't know that this is just a test, but he does know God. And he does know God had promised Isaac is key to his plan for salvation. And he knows that God keeps his promises. And that's enough for God to obey. He knows God keeps his promises, and he knows that's enough for him to obey. Is it enough for you? Verse 9, the narrative slows right down. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abram built an altar there, and he arranged the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So Abram's displaying in his behavior his radical faith of taking God at his word. And his obedience is his faith being made visible. So in the New Testament in James, Jesus' brother James, cites Abram as an example to show how real faith is demonstrated in works. So from James 2, Was not our father Abram considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was, faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. So it's not that Abram's actions here make him right with God, but that the faith his actions demonstrate is what God credits as righteousness. So this is the kind of faith that God calls for from all of us. So not just a theoretical, nice idea, intellectual assent kind of faith, but a living faith that is demonstrated in our obedience. See, Abram obeyed because he trusted God will provide And at the heart of our disobedience, at the heart of sin, 
is really is a lack of faith. Uh, in our unbelief that God has our best interests at heart, in failing to trust that God will provide, we seek to provide for ourselves. So if there is a sin that's holding you back that you keep going back to, well, the reason you do is because at heart, you believe that you really need it. And you don't believe that God will better provide what that sin gives you, be it power or control or significance or security. Whatever you're looking for in that sin, God can provide it better. We can feel guilty about sin and, and as a way to stop us sin, um, to try and stop sinning. But guilt is a good alarm system. It alerts us so that we're doing something wrong. But it's, that's only temporary. It's not good at transforming us, just feeling guilty all the time. Now, the way to get out of sin is to obey God because we love him and because we trust that he'll provide The way out of sin is to see and trust that God provides. That's our final heading, God provides. Excuse me. God provides. So God intervenes to provide as Abram trusted that he would. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abram, Abram, here I am, he replied. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abram looked up. And there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Abram's come through the test. His obedience has demonstrated his faith, that he trusts God completely with everything. And yet, you notice, Abram doesn't call this place the place of faith or the place of obedience. He names it, the place of the Lord will provide. However we're tested, whatever we're asked to sacrifice for God, we can trust him. The Lord will provide. See, every other religion or worldview or system for living, even atheism, they say, give, give, give in the hope of getting something back. They say, keep giving me everything. Uh, and the payoff's just around the corner, honestly. The payoff's coming any moment now, but always fails to deliver. And we're rightly disgusted by the idea of offering up a child for sacrifice. But all of us are offering ourselves up to something we're all pouring our energy, our time, our love into something. And the great tragedy is most people go through life either not knowing what they're making sacrifices for or making sacrifices for an idol that can never deliver. 
Um, I've been following the soccer tournament, the Euros, and I don't know if you saw, Christian Eriksen, um, a Denmark player, had a cardiac arrest on the pitch. Now, he's okay now, but everyone watching was really traumatized. And the team manager, spoke, I heard him speak, and it was typical of what lots of people said, that it was a reminder that football is important, but it's not, as in, it's not what life is all about, you know? And so what did he say life is all about? Well, it's about, most of the people I heard said something like, it's about friends and family and relationships. And those are great things. But those being your life's meaning, they're too heavy a burden for any human relationship to bear. Only God is good and powerful enough to fulfill that role of being what our life is all about. Only, only God can provide everything that we need. See, Abram didn't spare his son in commitment to God. And God did not spare his son in commitment, his commitment to save us. So Romans 8.32, in language very similar to Genesis 22, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? See, the offering of Isaac by Abram points forward to the offering of Jesus by God the Father to save us from our sin. So there's lots of similarities we can pick up on. There's the language of take your son, your only son. It's reminiscent of what God says at Jesus' baptism and transfiguration. You are my son whom I love. This is my son whom I love. Uh, Isaac carries the wood for the sacrifice to the place of sacrifice. Jesus carries his cross to Calvary. Mount Moriah, uh, it turns out in two chronicles to be the place where the temple, the great place of sacrifice, is eventually built. The sacrifices that point to Jesus' sacrifice. And there's a case to be made that Calvary is at least in the vicinity of Mount Moriah. Isaac is figuratively received back from the dead after three days. Jesus literally raised from the dead on the third day. But the difference is, God provided a substitute for Isaac. Jesus is our substitute. So we have to get into a bit of thinking about the Trinity here, don't we? Because Jesus is God himself. He's fully God. Yet it's right to see in Abram's anguish, the anguish of God the Father giving up his only son to provide for us to restore us to right relationship with God, to enjoy his blessing. See, God provides holding nothing back, not even his son, meaning that we can hold back nothing, knowing that we can trust God, knowing that God will use everything we give him, our all, for blessing, for eternal significance. And God won't ask any of us to sacrifice a child, so don't go and do that, whatever you do. But God does call us 
to give up our very lives to him. So Matthew 10, uh, we heard a bit of this in the kids' talk. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. See, Jesus demands our everything, total abandonment to him. Because that is the honor that is due to him, and because that is where true life is found. True life, not in turning to things in this life, turning them into idols, but in turning things of this life over to God in worship, trusting him with every area of our life, no holds barred. That's what he demands, that's what he deserves, and that is what is best for us. That's how we're most greatly blessed. God will provide. And to underline it, God makes an oath. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord came to Abram from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as a sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through you, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So things have developed, haven't they? In chapter 12, remember, God made Abraham promises. Then in chapter 15, he develops them into a sort of formal covenant contract with God carrying all the liability. Chapter 17, he developed it. Um, there's now a sign and seal, the circumcision. And now God swears by himself. So like a witness in court swears an oath in the Bible, but because God has no being higher than to appeal to, so he swears by himself. And Hebrews 6 tells us why God has done this. You know, he's already made a promise and a covenant. Why this oath? God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. An anchor for the soul. So it's not because God only kind of half meant it first time he, he promised. No, he's made an oath as well because for our sake, it's done it for our sake, so we can not just be sure, but super sure. It's like um, when you fly these days, you get your to your boarding pass on your phone. Everything's electronic. But I just can't help printing out a copy, just in case, you know. Abram could trust God, trust in God to provide because he knew God's track record. He knew that he could take God at his word and God would provide in even this seemingly hopeless situation. Abram knew that God can bring life from death. We can look at God's track record. We can look to the cross in confidence, seeing that God has not withheld even his only son so that we might be saved 
Or seeing that, we can give everything about us over to God as a living sacrifice, our whole life an offering of worship to him, knowing that he can be trusted with it, knowing that God will provide. So to sum up, uh, guilt is one way not to sin, but it doesn't last. It's a good alarm, but a terrible transformer. Instead, love God. Trust that he will provide. Never withholding any good thing. And through any testing that you're going through, trust that God will provide. God will provide greater than any sin can, any idol, any religion or system for living ever could. God will provide and he will grow you through testing. And to sum up this whole series on Genesis, how could we sum it up? I mean, we could say follow Abram's example, but he's a bit useless sometimes, isn't he? Well, let's follow Abram's example, all the good bits, okay? So follow Abram's example of just taking God at his word. Just trusting God, taking him at his word. And my prayer is that for us, as it was for Abram, that will result in radical transformation and great blessing of ourselves but also everyone out there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you to your word for us from Genesis. Thank you um, that we could go back to the beginning and see these sort of foundational things about you, about your goodness, about how you're personal, how you really care for us, that you're just, you're fair, you're holy, and you're full of mercy. And grace. Thank you for providing a way back in Jesus. Thank you that you will provide. And for anyone here struggling through times of testing, I pray you'll help them to endure that. I pray you will grow them through it. And I pray that you will provide for them as you promise you will. Where any of us are holding on to an area of sin because we're scared of letting it go, With that too, Lord, I pray that we'll know that you will provide and trust you to provide better. In Jesus' name we pray, trusting in him for your grace. Amen.